1: the southernmost point of Dorne all the way up to lands of always winter and west of west and east of east over to the shadow and beyond this is Casterly Talk I'm Cat Napsack for another edition of the show in which we dive on in to the world of ice and fire we look back on the show yep the show's completed but we're still here to talk about that a lot of things learned a lot of, a lot of news still coming out about the, fi- the final season and the show overall and uh, we're starting to look ahead we got our first bit of news it's Tiny. We'll talk about the prequels and uh, dive into some things and maybe even take your calls to do it with me. Uh, he was on the show last week. He contributes to the Ruminations of the Realm segment uh, from the Realm. Gosh, can one of these days get it right? Uh, please welcome to the show. We call him Sir Thomas Atoll, but you can also call him Thomas Risling.
0: Thomas, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you so much for having me on again today
1: hey you know you're you're the people's favorite man people uh people en- uh, enjoy my ramblings uh, they love lawn andres and Rachel but uh, you popped on with me last week for the full
0: show and I think people are rooting for you and we're happy to have you here buddy yeah it was a wonderful experience we uh, we dived into some pretty interesting subjects and I think we're about to do the same thing again today with these little pieces of news that have come our way
1: Absolutely. We got a couple of things we want to start uh, the conversations off with tonight as uh, uh, you're up there in the great white north, the land of uh, always winter, indeed. And I'm down here in a blustery Burbank day. Uh, so let's dive in here. This this thing came out here. Uh, I'm looking at a report. Uh, this is from Entertainment Weekly. They slipped kind of two little things into uh, the story. No, correction. Uh, this one was actually E. Oh, all right. E. Entertainment Weekly. Sometimes it's all the same, but sometimes, you know, I. You know, know some of the people that work there, uh, and each one, and they're good people. Um, so this one is a scrapped Game of Thrones scene that would have changed everything. That's the big headline here, but this is uh, what could have been for Cersei Lannister. Lena Headey was at a comic book convention in Munich, Germany, and it seems like anytime there's a comic convention <laughs> over in Europe, Sir Barristan Selmy starts saying something. Uh, now Lena Headey, it's something over there. They feel safe, I guess. Uh, she revealed a key scene that was totally scrapped from season seven. Not even season and this is a scene that would have uh, she says clued viewers into a lot of Cersei's decisions in the final season and she said Cersei quote loses the baby she would lose the baby and she described it as traumatic and a great moment for Cersei I kind of love doing that because I thought it would have served her differently uh, she does go on to talk about her views of uh, her death her ultimate fate uh, we'll break uh, that apart uh, and talk about this first moment uh, Thomas what do you think about this idea would you have wanted it all that stuff
0: um, would I have wanted it? The answer I think is no, but it is definitely, you know, for a tour de force like that for Lena Heady um, or Hetty, sorry, we yeah. I'm sad we didn't get to see that moment. She's such a terrific uh, actress that I think anything they give her, especially with that type of dramatic weight, emotional weight would have been pretty amazing. But for the story they were trying to tell, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is she would not have had the allegiance and support of Euron in the Iron Fleet. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, we can count the other things that, by extension, you know, that resulted in her gaining that allegiance resulted in the death of Missandei, Regal, and a huge chunk of Danny's force. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thought of my mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and we we. You know, it was a big question after season seven. We had a long wait to season eight, and and a lot of people was well, she lying? Is uh, is Jamie really the father? You know, is uh, is is one of one of the, the kettle blacks from the book? Did they actually finally get on the show? Um, you know, all these kind of things. And then, you know, early on, what is I think episode one or two? I uh, can't remember now. Season eight, she's drinking wine, so we had to ask that question. We thought, I don't know, maybe maybe the maester said it was okay, uh, <laughs> but now it would make me think that this was factored into the show whether the scene was there or not um which makes me want it or at least want a reference to it because i think she could have still played euron who's probably bombastic and ego-driven enough to not recognize that she was drinking wine um or just wanted to believe so i, I do you do you think let me start there with you Tom. do you think that this still in the story is something that happened
0: oh that's a tough one i think um there's definitely a possibility that that could be the case, you know, just gone unsaid. I mean, I, I think um, the first thing that comes to my mind is I think drinking while pregnant is probably the, the least of Cersei's evils of all the things that she's done. So <laughs> I wouldn't put that sure. past her. Um, but there's there's just this this idea of that happening without us seeing it is very possible. And it does make a lot of sense. Cersei's very conniving. She's hyper intelligent. And she is good at sitting on the throne, whether we like it or not. She does a fairly decent job at keeping herself there. Right. Um, maybe she's not good at being on the throne, but she does a good job of keeping herself there. So the idea of her having this miscarriage and it just going unseen is definitely possible for me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I still kind of think it's part of the story. It's one of those uh, maybe, maybe it's now more headcanon than uh, than not. But but I'll tell you what, as as a fan, if as a fan of Cersei and a fan of Lena Headey, I. Do miss it? I uh, do wish this was in for one regard, uh, one reason, which is giving uh, Lena Hetty, Alina uh, that that moment uh, similar to some of the moments, especially early on in the show, where you see the humanity of Cersei and you feel for her, which um, is one of the keys to this character because she is a big bad in a lot of ways. But you know, when she blows up the set, there's a lot of people who at least a part of you is rooting for her. And it's this kind of stuff that makes that happen.
0: It's true, and I think that convolutes the way we think about her as a character and how uh, how we, um, I guess, justify what she does. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we can look at at, at Cersei as, um, I guess we can view her however we want, but the facts are that she's not a very good person. She's always going to protect herself, and her position is more important to her than than anything aside from her family. Right. So I have a, I have a really hard time um, with the idea of this scene as much as I, again, I would have loved to see it. It, mm-hmm. it just to me doesn't make a lot of sense. It almost seems unnecessary to include that scene, especially being that I think we can all agree that her death was always planned, yeah. which would ultimately make that miscarriage scene almost a redundancy yeah 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 there's a little bit of that too
1: yeah I, I, I in the end don't think it was 100% needed the idea of her being pregnant was key and that's the other thing as, as I'm listening to you to talk about that Thomas one of my favorite moments is uh, Tyrion appealing to her screaming up at her kind of moments before Missandei's death kind of trying to appeal to that last part of her that last shred of decency that he thinks is there which is related to her motherhood and her, her, her protection of her, her late children but now what he believes is another child coming and I guess again she could trick him but I think that scene plays better with her still being pregnant
0: yeah, I would completely agree. I think for her, for the whole thing to have been a work again, you know, that's it, kind of the third time I've said this, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, she could definitely work Tyrion into believing that, to but to what benefit if it's not true? Jamie would have found out, mm-hmm. you know, Euron probably wouldn't have, but I think we can all agree Jamie was smart enough that if she wasn't pregnant, he was probably going to find out. So I, I stand yeah. firmly in the camp of that she, you know, she was pregnant. Absolutely. They've confirmed this. Yeah. And and I think she stayed, I actually think she stayed pregnant all day until her death.
1: Yeah, I can accept that. I can accept that. And 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 I, I, when I first saw this headline, I thought, oh, season eight, like this is maybe something that happened in season eight. Um, but to hear that it might have been season seven, even, it does kind of make less sense for me to, as when you look at how season seven ends for her and Jamie. Um, I think if she's not, if she knows she's not pregnant, no, she has lost it, I don't know if she reacts differently to Jamie. Uh, where you know, if she's not pregnant, maybe she has them out and kill him in that moment. It, it would have been a mistake from her, but uh, you know the love is deep. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 even that plays a little differently.
0: Yeah, and you know, there again, there's there's so many ways to try and 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 reason with this and justify this, but ultimately, Jamie Jamie would have known, and had she tried to trick him, I don't think that would have gone the way she wanted. I think maybe Jamie would have left and stayed away. Mm-hmm. You know, even though he, his coming back was too little, too late, I think that if that had been the case and she was working him the whole time, I, I don't think he ever would have come back. I think we, we may have seen a situation where he stayed with Brienne.
1: Stay with Brienne, which uh, obviously we didn't get. He goes back and they they die together as the kingdom that Cersei built or at least coveted and tried to run comes crumbling a down a down upon her. Lena Lena Headey uh, didn't, uh, she says, uh, an interview with The Guardian, um... She had her own gripes with how things played out, but was waiting to talk to the creators, Dana Dave, about it. First, she wanted to say she wanted a better exit for her character. And this is the words... The article's using here on E! But she, and her quote is, I will say I wanted a better death. Obviously, you dream of your death. You could go in any way on that show. Uh, so I was kind of gutted, but I just think they couldn't have pleased everyone, being Dan and Dave, no matter what they did. I think there was going to be some big come down from the climb. Now, uh, I, without a doubt, I know, Thomas, uh, the way she went out, um, it was smaller than people thought. It was different. I love what it meant. Uh, I stand behind <clears throat> that choice and that scene. But I understand that uh, you might have wanted something more. But I think people could use this as too far to criticize season eight uh, when this is just an an actor who wants a a bigger, more dramatic death.
0: Yeah. And actors become attached to their characters. They, for many of them, it becomes a part of of who they are for a short period of time, or in this case, you know, 10 years of their life. Mm. And one of the quotes from Lena Headey that I thought was really interesting, and I think kind of. Uh, defines the fact that she's speaking about her character and and what she had hoped personally for her character, not for the story. Mm. There's a quote here where she says it was a really traumatic, great moment for Cersei. Mm. Those two statements are somewhat uh, uh, contradicting of each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was really traumatic in the sense that you know Cersei losing a child is horrible, but it's also a great moment for Cersei in the sense of her character arc, and it would have given Lena Headey a wonderful scene to act. So I think we just all got to be careful that we don't take these things she's saying as slag against last season. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. We we saw this a lot with Mark Hamill. Uh, You can edit up his things. You can take it out of context. You can read it straightforward and not uh, factor in his kind of own cheekiness. Uh, I'm actually just now preparing a story for Force Center that's coming out later next week, you know, where Mark Hamill's done with Star Wars, meaning he just kind of hopes Episode Nine's is the last time he plays Luke and he's ready to do other things, uh, and, he was, and he was satisfied and cl- felt closure with eight, but Force ghosts are existing, and he comes back. You, you could take it the wrong way. These actors um, want to have the big moments, uh, and, and a great performer like Lena Headey uh, has the right to want something big, but that doesn't mean it's always right for the character.
0: No, and actors are storytellers, just like writers and directors, right? Yeah. So I mean, when they get this wonderful story. They they also believe they there's a version of it in their the the mind of their character that they believe is how it should play out. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's just part of the job. Yeah,
1: part of the job indeed. And there's nothing in her quote says she didn't like. The story elements or the story arc—it just—it it seems like a literal better death. She kind of dies with Jamie, uh, almost off camera in a way, uh, because the rocks tumble and and you're left kind of wondering. Similar to say Stannis, um, but uh, I think it in the end made made perfect sense for the story they told.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I, I anything other than, than the way that was presented, I think would have been very odd and would have dramatically changed the circumstances in the last season.
1: Yeah, let's move on to this thing with Miguel Sapochnik. A couple things coming out of him an interview with IndieWire, also some stuff in a podcast. Our friend Kevin at Three Cocktail Quest Questions sent me a, a link to a podcast uh, called, uh, it's from IndieWire. Actually, also, oh, this, duh, duh, this is the same interview. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, IndieWire, it's called Filmmaker Toolkit. And I was listening to parts of that. Uh, skipping around so I miss these specific parts that are covered in this E story and a CNET story here. So Sipochnik, the, the big director of Hard Home and of course The Long Night um, and uh, then uh, Danny burning down uh, King's Landing this year uh, says he wanted the Battle of... Uh, winterfell to play out differently in the long night he says i wanted to kill everyone i wanted to kill jorah in the horse charge at the beginning i was up for killing absolutely everyone i wanted to be ruthless so that in the first 10 minutes you say all bets are off anyone could die and david and dan didn't want to there was a lot of back and forth on that so i want to start there uh thomas i have some i have some opinions on uh how you should have killed Jorah and how they did. Um, But that's because I'm a Jorah guy. Uh, What do you think about this? Where's your mind at right now with this?
0: So I actually, uh, watching when I read this, I kind of chuckled to myself because when I was watching that during the first airing, I actually thought he did die until he came riding back. I thought that was it. Mm -hmm. And and he he talks about wanting to kill everyone like he didn't kill a whole bunch of people (laughs) in the end. You know, that's, that's the most interesting part to me. I mean, so many people died, right? The Dothraki, Jorah, Dolores, yeah. and Melisandre, the Night King, more.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I understand, because this is one of those moments I do wish, uh, do wish Andres was here, because he did. he's one of those, hey, I wanted more people to die. And I don't think he necessarily meant this. That's a different thing the whole episode. But this idea of it leading off being 10 minutes, I, I almost think exactly what you described, Thomas. Number one, we do lose all these Dothraki and all these... But the fact that I, I as a Jorah fan, did think, too, oh, God, Jor- that's how Jorah went out? It, al- yep. it, w- it, it already kind of had that effect. He didn't even need to do it. Just the history of Game of Thrones made me think that was possible.
0: Yeah, and the, that moment of wonder. Oh, my God. You know, for, for people like uh, yourself, and myself, we love Jorah and, and for many others. And to mm-hmm. see um, such a beloved character ride off into the darkness and, and wonder if he was ever going to come back, most of us think not um that was a a pretty disappointing idea immediately the first thing that came to my head was oh no I wanted him to go out defending Danny right and and, you know for me Danny and Jorah are tied and and I think you know again I, I don't want to just continuously praise this last season but I mean it for me that end was so well done watching Jorah Quite literally, fight until he could not fight anymore to protect his queen and the woman he loved mm-hmm. uh, was was very perfect for me and was a very nice way to wrap up his story.
1: Yeah. And it shows how how the process works there. And, and um, it's so interesting. Sometimes, you know, these stories, these big movies, these big TV shows, there's so much that goes into it. The documentary that we all watched. Uh, about the making of season eight i mean it's fascinating it didn't even focus on the main players you know focused on all these uh, wonderful background folks actors and 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 tech people and everything um you see what everyone puts into it but the creative process uh, i i go again i'm going again to last jedi of you know uh uh, ryan johnson didn't quote unquote didn't put a a line between 3po and luke skywalker into the script all right fair enough that seems disappointing but then hamill comes up let me wink at him and everything and ryan goes oh that's great yeah do it um, that's how things are made. That's how the process is made. You, you don't. JJ didn't think to have Chewbacca hug Leia after Han dies. Um, there's just these big picture things. All these creatives are worried about. That's why you have Dan and Dave to make the, these big calls, um, and then Sapochnik to get his ideas out there as a director. And it might sometimes that's why you that it gets frustrating. But that's just kind of the name of the game. Uh, and one. Uh, final point here in this in this podcast uh, the full interview on anywhere i was listening uh thomas he was talking about how dan and dave really be, are big into the pre-viz stuff for these big fights yes. laying it all out and he sometimes he, he kind of expressed that uh, it sometimes might take the creativity away from the director and he's not saying it in a completely bad way he's just like he wants to get in there and find some of the stuff and I, i'm paraphrasing really big here but all that to say this
0: is just an insight into the process of making these big shows yeah. And I mean, the scope is huge. Like, I mean, to compare Game of Thrones to anything else that, I mean, most television directors have worked on, unless they've worked on a, a fantasy film, of some sort of similar scope, they've probably never touched anything like that. And I think, uh, you know, Miguel Sapochnik is, is wonderful at the idea of controlled chaos. We've seen it in every episode he's directed. Uh, and, and in this, I think he would have lost some of the control had you killed so many characters toward the beginning Again, his his kind of staple being that controlled chaos, like Battle of the Bastards. Mm -hmm. We we keep coming back to the idea of oh my god, they're gone. How many times in the Battle of the Bastards did we all think John's not going to make it out, right? Or twins not going to make it out? And it's the same issue here. It's not sorry, not issue, but the same concept here. Rather, I mean, if you keep pushing suspense. You can keep people on the hook, but if in 10 minutes you kill off a whole bunch of characters that we're invested in, uh, for me as a viewer, I would have had a very hard time, I think, settling into the rest of the episode. I think I would have been somewhat thrown off by that and spent most of the rest of the episode worrying about these characters that are no longer around. And maybe that's just my overinvestment in the series. Mm, I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe.
1: But I'm right there with you, and I think that's a great point. I'm, I'm just trying to say, put put myself in, in what you're describing and going back to that moment watching The Long Night. If Jorah dies, he doesn't come back from that charge. You're right. I'm probably out of the next 10 minutes of the fight yep. going, oh, that's my guy. That's my guy. And he's gone. And yeah, it, it serves... What Sapachnik is saying is correct. It's like all bets are off. That's the Game of Thrones thing, right? But that to me, that to me comes from Ned Stark dying, which was nine episodes in and highlighted. It doesn't come from Ned Stark dying in uh, a battle in episode two.
0: no it's it's very specific it's a very specific moment that we not no one watching game of thrones had you not read the books had seen that coming right Uh, i don't i don't know of uh any other television series that's killed its protagonist in the first season right especially
1: in american television on this level and look you get points for bran right away he's pushed out of a window uh yep. you got a beheading early on will i mean you're you're who are these ice zombies like there's a lot of things where like all bets are off but i think a lot of times you hear well that's the game of thrones way the red wedding ned stark it's like that we had time to process that or get to that point and the shock value does come from the long-term investment where i think in this bottled bottling it all, bottling it all up i think you're right thomas i think if all of these characters in the first 10 minutes go, if there's more, Gray Worm, Jorah, Melisandre, if it all happens early on, the rest of the fight is, is, is yeah, oh my God, anyone can die, but also you're not paying it. You're, you're, if you're emotionally invested, yeah, I too, I'd be out of it. I think I'd be out of it. There'd be far
0: fewer people to be invested in in the rest of the episode. That's true too. Just not a, a lot of red shirts fighting. Exactly. And, uh, and and just lastly here, one of the things these creative, you know, him learning to work around Dan and Dave and kind of their their demand for previs and things like that. I think that with television directors and, you know, I could be wrong in saying this, but from everything I've read and listened to television directors, a lot of the time, um, one of their biggest tasks, the hardest task is learning to work with um, whoever's in charge of previs, whether it's the showrunners or producers or whatever the case may be, despite whatever creative differences they may feel. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, a, t- a television director is not the person writing the episode in most cases or even running the show. So a lot of the time they're brought in to be a part of a large cog that that brings a final product. Whereas in film, the director, I think, is much more um, intrinsically attached to the development and previs from the very, very beginning.
1: I think it's great. It's a great point. And, and it's part of the realities of the business, uh, especially in television with the, with the budgets and budgets make you. Do things maybe you normally wouldn't do or didn't want to do. Um, I, I you know hear that all the time, like Clone Wars, talking about Clone Wars or Rebels. Uh, and and I used to be on that Collider Rebels review show, and and there was a couple episodes where I was like, man, this I wanted something bigger. I was expecting this is kind of a rest episode. Like I want where's the big fights and and I remember it was my friend Stephen Stanton who kind of took a shot at me on air politely in this uh, very fatherly way. The next time he was on the show being interviewed, he was like. Yeah, you know, this big, we were talking about one of the big fights in, in in Rebels, and he's like, Yeah, they're fantastic. They're wonderful. That's why you need some of the smaller, quieter episodes to save money for these big moments, right? <laughs> kind of looking at me. And it's it just, it's part of this too. It's part of what Sapochnik's talking about, because especially this next story uh, that he kind of also, I'm reading an article from uh, CNET, but uh, talking about the, the interview here. Um, talking about how they wanted... There were, quote, many things that happened that people would have seen... Uh, many There were many things that happened that people would have been so happy to happen. Weird sentence. Uh, attacks of dire wolves and crazy stuff, Saposhnik said. At a certain point, you're like... Fifty direwolves attacking an undead dragon does not a good movie make. This stuff we didn't uh, did not shoot. It was part of the process, and so this kind of get got got exploded out as the story of oh, they were going to have fifty direwolves attack uh, you know Viserion, uh, uh, an ice dragon here, and 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 the reaction is oh, well like look, I would have wanted to see it, and I actually would have wanted it to be Nymeria. You just can't can't do that uh, budget wise, and you have to make those cuts.
0: Yeah, but budget is the first thing for this. I mean, 50 direwolves, we're talking uh, the explanation for no pets for ghosts in the, the episode <laughs> three was was budget. So, I mean, let's, you know, I think we can all agree that's the number one. I think yeah. for me, the first thing that popped in my mind when I read this is what difference are 50 direwolves going to make against an undead dragon that breathes ice? I guess, <laughs> you know, you pull it down,
1: uh, You get on the back. We'll plan the strategy out. We'll plan it out. <laughs> Uh, just a lot of bites around the neck here uh, with the, some direwolf magic, and yeah, I would have you know. Again, uh, I I was secretly hoping Nymeria and the pack of uh, regular wolves would show up, and who knows, maybe in the book we still get that. But you're right, Jon Snow, uh, uh, the character in the show is burnt at the stake because he doesn't pet a uh, ghost, uh, and then they reveal uh, we didn't have the money for it, or you know, and it's frustrating because you look around, uh, you see the money in a lot of other places, but they have to make those cuts. Um, but what, what he also goes on to say this, uh, they, being Dan and Dave, this is Sapochnik, they were completely ruthless when it came to that thing of, no, we want this, no, we want this. And at the same time, at some point, there were moments of realization that we physically can't do some of the things and some things we can. So there again, too, a little insight into the process. And at the end of the day, Thomas, they still put out, including Battle of the Bastards, home, amazing things.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, like Nymeria coming to Winterfell with the wolf pack, I think would have been very interesting for sure. and would have shown us another level of narrative symmetry following just like Arya returns to the north, to her home, to uh, take part in this greater war and, and kind of reassume her position. Nymeria, you know, that would have mirrored that. Mm. But, you know, and even further than that, maybe Nymeria and Ghost could have gone north after while Arya went west because that just wasn't them. Mm. And we've heard that. But I mean, for me, aside from that, I really can't justify the... I have a hard time seeing 50 direwolves fight an undead dragon. I really, I really can't see it.
1: I love it. I love it. Maybe we'll see something in the prequel series. Hey, on the other side of this, we're going to take a call. And, Thomas, are you excited? Our first kind of uh, little official news on the prequels. Very. Very excited. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back here on Casterly Talk. And we're back here on Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Epsak, and on the phone is Thomas Risling. Hey, Thomas, thanks for sticking around. Hey, Ken, my pleasure. This is a lot of fun, a lot of fun talking Game of Thrones with you here. And when I tell some people off air, uh, oh, yeah, I still got a Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, sometimes they don't say, don't it, say but it, but the look on their face is a little, why? The show's over. Yeah. Um, to that i say well there's so much more to talk about just in the world of ice and fire uh but also thomas eh, you know that little prequel thing's coming down the line eh, uh, are you excited for this first bit of news
0: oh so excited you know the idea that they're filming um you know the big the big piece of news here is filming in northern ireland and we we know that more often than not that means the north Yeah. And for me, uh, I really hope this whole series revolves a lot around Brandon the Builder and the Knights King and some of those. More fantasy-based ideas, especially seeing that we have no Iron Throne or Targaryens around this time in Westeros.
1: Mm-hmm. Here we go from Entertainment Weekly. File under untitled Game of Thrones prequel. The Game of Thrones prequel is officially underway. Filming has quietly begun. Not so quiet anymore. And it's uh, shooting the pilot this summer in hopes for a series order. So let's start there. Um Again, we, we and I talked about the business last time around, the realities of the business. Uh that's pretty clear. Uh there's a chance we don't we don't get this series.
0: I think you know what? All you gotta do to to realize the actual reality of that chance is is look back at the fact, and some people still don't know this. Uh, there was an original pilot shot for Game of Thrones that was never used that right. never made a dare. Right. Right. So I mean <laughs> I, I I'd like to think that with all of the experience they have within the world, that I I'm pretty sure this is a lock to get picked up. Uh, yeah. Look at this I'll point say.
1: with, with the press uh, going, this isn't quietly. Uh, the first game of Thrones pilot was quiet. <laughs> huh. uh, th- this is not so quiet. Uh, I, I think it would be, it would have to be a colossal failure for the HBO to be
0: like, sorry for all the hype. Uh, no, thanks, but it could still happen. Yeah, be. Bring in the Academy Award-winning Naomi Watts and then just do nothing with it. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, absolutely. And and the news, yeah, they're s- shooting in Northern Ireland, which is where uh, most of uh, Game of Thrones was shot. And, of course, uh, other great locations as well. Dubrovnik comes to mind. And unclear if they're going to other countries as well, which leads me... We don't have, we don't know that answer, and this is just the pilot. So I imagine we would eventually see something of Essos, Valeria, even as it's uh, depending on the time frame. Again, we don't know. This uh, 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 George is uh, playing around with that, uh, but Essos exists. So, uh, do you, when you hear this, do you think Thomas? There's a chance that it could all just kind of be in Westeros.
0: I actually think there's a really good chance that this could focus entirely on Westeros. We know that there's there's a couple of these kind of in pre-production and being written and tossed around right now with only this one actually going into production. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a really good chance that if this show uh, hits and takes off and we get a couple of seasons that we could end up with another one that focuses maybe it's a limited series and you know they focus a larger budget on a smaller amount of episodes and give us something about the Doom of Valyria. I actually think there's a really good chance that we don't see um, much, if any, of Essos in this new prequel series.
1: Yeah, and the more I think about it, that makes some sense. Now, I know uh, with the cast, there's uh, some wonderful casting uh, uh, folks here. Wonderful people cast, I should say. Naomi Watts, Naomi Ackie, Dennis Goh, uh, Miranda Richardson, Josh Whitehouse, Jamie Campbell-Bower, Sheila Atom, Ivano, Jeremiah, Alex Sharp, and to- uh, Toby Regbo, among others. Um, there was some great diversity in the cast, which made people think, are we, are we getting just... A more diverse Westeros, or are we getting in keeping with this, this lot of the history that we know that maybe it's Summer Isles or some other place, Essos included. Um, I, I wondered. That makes me wonder about that, but at the same time, just the time period, the the, the subject matter. I, I wonder if if we're mostly we help I me. Mean, we might even mostly be in the
0: north. I, I think that's a, a really, really good bet. I mean, the the most history that we have, at least in the show, that we haven't really explored is the northern history. Mm-hmm. And and aside from uh, Essos and Targaryen history, it's probably uh, the biggest question mark coming out of the main series, the Game of Thrones. Uh, we look back, what do you actually learn about the lands of Always Winter, mm. other than the fact that they're cold? Mm. what do you learn about the history of the North, the true history of the North going back again to people like Brandon, the builder and, and, and seeing a story like the Knights, the Knights King and the story of his corpse queen that could play. There's a rumor that the Knights King could possibly be a bastard brother of Brandon, the breaker. Mm. So maybe we start, we get to see kind of the the history of the North and then Westeros progress throughout this series, depending on how far it goes.
1: I, I love that idea. I love focusing on the history of the North. Uh, going back to even Season 8 here, Sansa becoming Queen of the no- in the North uh, was very powerful to me, and and even though I kind of thought, hey, maybe she she was the one to sit on the Iron Throne, or what was the, the memory of the Iron Throne, we should say, um, I felt it was more important to the history of this world, the world of ice and fire, that, you know, we got Torn Stark, the king who knelt, and then Sansa, the queen who rose, like, uh, I love that idea. And so the North history is is pretty interesting and pretty powerful and influential to the rest of the story. So you're right. Uh, something focused
0: more up there might just be more interesting to me. And even maybe just a focus, more of a focus on the old gods and the other people who followed that, you know, like mm-hmm. Garth Greenhand and his descendants.
1: Yeah, and it's not to say that there isn't uh, other great histories down below and Highgarden, the reach and dorn and you know you mentioned storms end a lot of that stuff um it's interesting to me but a lot of that gets really interesting uh, when the targaryens show up uh and the conquest begins which uh again it's that's almost hear me out here uh, it's, the conquest and and the, is almost the story of of King's Landing and and South, even though very much very much factors into the North. But then prior to that, one, once Torn Stark, you know, kneels, prior to all Torn Stark kneeling, it's like the history of the North is more important. So we might be getting that version of the story. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing out loud here.
0: Well, I think like we get uh, like forty some years, you know, between when Aegon takes the North. Yeah. And when when he dies, you know, and, and during that time, he never took Dorne. So I agree that, you know, that story, Aegon's Conquest, largely revolves around King's Landing in the south. Whereas the older history from the Age of Heroes, Long Night, typically it's it's kind of the history of the Reach and the Riverlands in the north. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the hills and rivers is a, a term that you'll hear a lot in that. And, you know, like, are we going to go back to see things like house mud you know a house that's been gone for thousands of years and you know jenny of old stones is said to have descended from there will we see all of these kind of fun nods to book readers you know whereas in the the main series it was kind of a literal adaptation with the occasional fun nod to things that don't didn't make it in i think this series could be a lot more of of that kind of joy for book readers where we get to see the things that we never thought we'd see on screen
1: yeah absolutely do you you mentioned the long night um uh, I mean, excuse me. You men- mentioned the Night King. The name of the series is proposed. Maybe the Long Night. We, we, we—that's we, from George himself. Um, the Night King. Let's say the Night King, even if he's played by the same guy who the, the stunt coordinator that played him uh, in the last couple of seasons. Um, do you want that crossover directly? Uh, you know, you want some of those answers about the Night King and his history in this show, and would it help uh, for any questions you had coming out of the Game of Thrones?
0: Uh, I don't think it would. You know, um, we saw his creation and we know why he was created. Right. Um, I, I really don't think that story is much more complicated than that. You know, the children of the forest felt like they needed protection and their protection, the the protection they created eventually turned back around on them. Um, that story is very simple. And I think we've already come with a full loop on that story. And, you know, we could definitely learn more about the history of certain events but I don't think anything we, we could learn And you know, obviously I could be very wrong But I don't think anything that we could learn Would add more to the story we've already been given In that regard uh, Yeah I, I agree with you there too and, and, and do I want
1: Do I want some of the um, these, these Not even questions I have About the Night King and the history Do I want, do I want just a little more
0: history Yeah I do but you're right um, It's pretty cut and dry <laughs> It's pretty simple. It relative, right? The, all the history we learn needs to be this, this relative history that uh, furthers the story and furthers our enjoyment of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I go like, you know, Return of the Jedi, Emperor shows up. He He's an evil guy in a robe. Great. You'll get the rest of it later, and there's interesting things. But that's all you need to know for this story. Yeah, children of force create something.
0: Oops. Now they're uh, attacked by it, and also he's pissed. <laughs> He's yeah, pissed that and, you know, like it's understandable. I've always liked the story of this this man who was forced into this horrible life as a creature essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? And and who knows whether I guess the one thing we could learn, if we were to go see that, I'll go back on myself a little bit here. The one thing we could learn is, you know, was he someone who gave of himself for this purpose? It sure didn't appear like it when they were shoving dragon glass into his chest. But that's a good question, and this is more
1: show history versus book history. The knight's Absolutely. king and the knight king are are, are are different, but yeah, going to going to that clip that we see at those trees, he's scared, he's in pain, but who knows? Maybe he's like, yeah, I'll volunteer, and that's then he just it. in that moment. Oh, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Um, I, I get the sense because he's so upset and because his his mission is domination and revenge just for creating me, uh eh, maybe he didn't volunteer for the uh, Night King program. Um but uh those those are some of the questions I wouldn't mind eventually getting an answered. And they might be answered in the book. Um even though again it is a different history. We do have to sometimes make sure we're aware of that, even even me as a as a as a fan of both properties. Uh, Just because something is answered in the show doesn't mean that's the answer in the books, vice versa. Um, And with George's hands on this one, though, and that's a question for you, Thomas. What do you think? George's hands uh, are all on this one right now. Um, Is he aware? Does he want to make changes that, you know, this answers a show question. I'll give give you another answer that answers the book question later. This is TV world.
0: I think we are definitely going to get something that is much more along the lines of george r, r. martin's histories that he's been putting out in the last few years mm-hmm. uh fire and blood the world of ice and fire history of the world of ice and fire uh those types of things is a, it's a different history than we get um in dialogue and in you know different anecdotes within the books it's written in a different style it, it feels very different and i i think that we could be seeing a similar thing with the television show here in george i think he's Maybe seeing some of these things, even to an extent that he's done or that that Dan and Dave have done with the main series where he goes, ooh, if I wrote this into history 6,000 years ago, wouldn't that make that fact in that second episode very, very interesting? Mm. That's Mm. what George does. You know, he loves adding elements of making you scratch your head going, wow, I I can't believe I didn't see that. Yeah, and I'd like to think that that's you know his his drive in this is to add more of him not sorry not add more of himself but to continue to give of himself and his creative style uh, for this series. And I'd like to think that a lot of the history we get will be uh, relative to some things we've already seen, even if it's not directly um, directly related. At least maybe related by some sort of kind of proxy. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting. Some of those big questions will start to get answered i mean even george lucas uh, answered questions uh, apparently he only had and this is someone i'm a prequels fan he's some. he's not worried about his own canon history sometimes i wonder if george we're looking at the tv show if he's like yeah i don't need to answer that i'll answer my version of it and if it con- conflicts and if we're told i, I I'm, I'm wondering as as this show starts to become a reality even just the pilot um which you know we're looking at uh we're saying if the pilot of greenlit to series the earliest we're likely to see the show on the air is late 2020 with the spring of 2021 more likely so i wonder if any any kind of marketing and i'm, I'm not talking about posters and stuff like that but any type of of, of the interviews or the press releases if there's going to be some clarity if this is in I, I hate to say it but the same universe as hbo's game of thrones
0: I think it'd almost be foolish not to have it be, but I, you know, there's, there's an understanding in me as a book reader. Um, I actually just started rereading the books cause I had mm. a bit of an issue the other day where I, I, for the first time mixed up a book fact and a, a show fact. <laughs> and, and now I'm looking at this saying, you know, there, there's a really good chance that maybe this is a show based on book history mm. because George has been exclusively working on the books. He's even said in interviews that he has not been involved in the end of the, the telling of a game of Thrones, the television show. He's been focusing on his books. So part right. of me wonders, you know, now that you say that, there is a there is a small chance that it could be unrelated. But uh, again, I think that would be a big miss, especially with all the merchandise and the the traction that Game of Thrones, despite what you thought of the last season, the traction the yeah. show has in general.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. It has traction, it has momentum. And uh, um, yeah, you're you're. You're right. (laughs) HBO would be, I would say it would be foolish. They're like, new Game of Thrones show. I mean, has nothing to do with the one (laughs) you you just (laughs) saw. It's like MCU movies versus uh, TV, all those kind of things. And and that didn't uh, didn't necessarily work out. So um, we're about ready to get out of here. But uh, Thomas, do you want to hear from our good buddy, Eric Monroe? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear this call from our good friend, Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken Castro, The talk. So I've been thinking about when I'm going to do my full series rewatch of Game of Thrones, and I've kind of decided on I'm going to probably do it towards the end of the year, because I want, I want to let a little bit of time pass. And the way I'm probably going to do it, I'll probably do an episode a day. It'll take me about, I guess, you know, two and a half months, depending on if I miss, you know, any days. But I, I want to do an episode a day because I really want to savor this rewatch. I want to see, I want to just... Do one episode at a time and see if there's anything I catch because it will be my first rewatch of watching the show, knowing the end game, knowing where everyone ends up, which is definitely fascinating to me. So, my question for you guys: uh, What are you when do you plan
0: to do your full series rewatch?
1: All right, Thomas, when do you plan to do your full series rewatch of HBO's A Game of Thrones?
0: Started last night. Oh, that's an answer. <laughs> I, I just can't help it. You know, there's um, there's a, a real interest in me for for being able to go back and view things as a complete story. Like Eric just said, you know, to to do it all in an episode a day, it's about two and a half months or or more, you know, and, and the idea of waiting a while is actually probably a good idea. I probably should have done the same, mm. but it's just the ability to go back and see the full story now. Because even book readers, we don't have a full story. We're, we're two whole novels away from the end of those stories. Mm. So getting getting to go back now and watch all of these things through the lens of okay, how does that apply to where they end up? That's right. going to create a whole bunch of interesting thoughts and probably a whole bunch of, of new perspectives that I didn't have previously.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm definitely going to be doing it. Uh, I think I'm with Eric. I might do it a little bit later. Maybe get out of the summer convention season. Uh, maybe in the fall, and definitely make that a part of what we do here in Casterly. Talk uh, absolutely, um, but I think everything you're describing, Thomas. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I think I need to catch up with shows I put on the back burner. Veep, Barry, a lot of uh, Shits Creek, a lot of those things. So I need to, I need to watch those shows that I love, uh, and then uh, revisit Game of Thrones because I think you're. I think there's going to be some powerful. I don't wanna say revelations later like changes everything, but some some power powerful perspective on the whole story going back to those early seasons.
0: Yeah, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is we talked about this a little bit already is the idea of of Nymeria and Arya. That that's not you line. Yeah. It is even more important and impactful than it was already. Yeah. You know, than that it was already an impactful line. Yeah. So now, you know, immediately that's the first thing that comes to my head. There's gonna be so many moments, like you said, not maybe revelations, but moments that we just see through a different lens
1: yeah absolutely the, the the rewatch of game of thrones has always been a key part of of the fandom of the show but also something i think needs to happen and, and there's some folks in my uh, in my circle um we won't out them but they're fans of the show but they hadn't hadn't in 8 years gone back to rewatch it and they're doing that right now and i'm getting texts That are what I would think, and I'm not saying this to make fun of them. I'm I'm excited that this, I love these conversations, but I'm getting texts of, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this Rhaegar guy is related to Danny and and that's just how the show if you're just watching on the surface you you, you can miss that and I, i'm not finger wagging and going tisk tisk. i'm saying that i love that they're discovering this because it's going to now the show's going to reward them even more and i think it will continue to war, reward even hardened uh veteran fans like ourselves when we go back and take a look
0: absolutely and to add on to what you just said too i had a friend recently about a month ago um they were they were starting to watch the show through the second time leading up um To the last season. So I guess a little bit more than that, three months, something Mm -hmm. like that. And he texts me after watching The Red Wedding and goes, Man, did you notice that Catelyn can hear the first notes of (laughs) Reigns of Castamere? I went, Yes, Yes. I did notice that. How's your second watch through? Yeah. Much better than the first. Yeah. I enjoyed that because it is one of these shows where it's wonderful on your first viewing. Absolutely. But there's so much there and so many small things, songs, names, references, uncles, aunts, nephews, cousins that you just don't notice that first watch through. So that second watch through almost becomes a big reward for you. If you've made it through the whole series, that second watch through is almost your reward.
1: It it, it almost is. It almost is. Highly recommend it. And highly recommended. And I, I love that you started already Thomas, Cause there's part of me, that, that can't stay away. I can't stop myself. <laughs> and uh, like when people ask me, hey, you work in Star Wars a lot. You wrote a Star Wars book. Are you tired of Star Wars? No, no, actually this weekend I'll probably watch, uh, you know, Solo again. Like, uh, you know, like I love it. And I, I love Game of Thrones and I love watching it unfold in front of me. This world of ice and fire all of it. It's exciting. I'm excited about the prequel. Eric, great question about the uh, watch along or the rewatch, and we're going to do it here uh, on Castly Talk. We're definitely going to take those deep dives back into the previous episodes and have those conversations and even maybe sit down with some of those folks who are just now rewatching it and seeing what they're learning, even just the second. Hard to think, but even if it's only the second time through. Uh, Thomas, I can't thank you enough for calling in and being on the show again this week.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Ken. This is an absolute blast. And getting to uh, take calls from callers like Eric and people who I've, uh, I've known for so long is very, very, very cool to me.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. It means a lot. The Daily Thrones community that sprung up on the old show, which has now become Casterly Talk, uh, I I love it. And and if you want to call in, you can get the Anchor app, or you can go to the Anchor desktop uh, uh, portal. uh, Find Casterly Talk, favorite station, you can just leave a message, 59 seconds or less. uh, Be clear, concise, have fun with it, and uh, we'll answer them here. Uh, As you know, Casterly Talk also features Rachel Cushing, Lon Harris, Andres Cabrera, and we'll get them in studio shortly. Everyone's kind doing work doing podcasts you should be listening to the meaning of podcast with andres Cabrera and robert butler the third lon harris working over at screen junkies and rachel busy editing and 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 competing uh in the movie trivia schmodown so a lot of stuff going on but uh, thomas and i uh, and thomas i gotta give you credit this was last minute i was like hey man can you get on the phone today in 10 minutes <laughs> so <laughs> and i was very very happy to take that so this is a lot of fun. You can uh, follow me at Napsack. Go to KenNapsack.com for all information of my shows and where to purchase my book, Why We Love Star Wars. If you got it and you like it, uh, go ahead and leave an Amazon review. Even if you didn't buy it on Amazon, go ahead and leave a review over there. That really helps. And, Thomas, tell them where they can fi- follow and find you.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Ristling, and you can also find me on my podcast, Ruminations Podcast, on Anchor and wherever podcasts are distributed. Uh, and uh, I always,
1: Ruminations from the realm, will appear on this show <laughs> from time to time. But also, Thomas and I are working on some other things, too. We're really excited about uh, going into some histories and lore and doing all that, uh, all that kind of stuff in the Casterly Talk sort of way. So that is it for this week. We're on out of here. Subscribe, rate, review, keep enjoying Casterly Talk because it goes on because the world of ice and fire is still going on. We'll see you next week.